Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. My name is Drew, and I serve as one of the pastors here at NBC MoCo. And if this is your first time uh, joining us, I want to welcome you and invite you to stop by the Welcome Center before you leave. We'd love to meet you, and we also have a gift uh, for you. Uh, Before we dive into God's Word, I do want to wish all the moms in the room a very happy Mother's Day. Uh, It really... Yeah, one clap. Okay, that's good. There we go. It really is a joy to celebrate and remember women we love dearly, and it's also a great privilege to uh, lament with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting today as Sheila prayed. Sheila, thank you for that prayer, sister. That was so powerful. Um, Yeah. In addition to Sheila's prayer to encourage you, our coffee team has a special treat for everyone. So if you haven't helped yourself to iced coffee or uh, some of the macaroons and madelines in the lobby, please make sure to grab some uh, before you leave today if you already haven't. So as we continue today in our sermon series through the book of Mark, I believe today's text is going to serve as a timely encouragement for each of us, whether it's a Mother's Day of rejoicing, a Mother's Day of sorrow, or unease because it's your first time in church for a while, my prayer is that God would meet you right where you are and minister to your heart according to his perfect purpose and will for your life this morning. Uh, So we're going to spend time in Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. And before we read the text, um, here is the bottom line for today's sermon. Because Jesus rose again, you can rise too. All right. If there's one point to remember this morning, it's this. So let's remind ourselves right now by saying it together. Because Jesus rose again, you can rise too. All right. Sorry, that was a messed up. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, read the text together and follow, and I'll walk us through it verse by verse, and we'll close with three points of application. So let's read Mark chapter 12, verse 18. Uh, through 27. So the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus and questioned him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife behind, but no child, that man should take the wife and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first married a woman and dying left no offspring. Then the second also took her and he died, leaving no offspring. And And the third likewise, none of the seven left offspring And last of all, the woman died too. In the resurrection, verse 23, when they rise, whose wife will she be since the seven had married her? In verse 24, Jesus spoke to him, isn't this the reason why you're mistaken? You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. So let's go back to verse 18. It said, the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and questioned him. You see, the Sadducees were among the religious heavyweights of Jesus' time. Like they were small in number, however, they were a powerful, wealthy, sophisticated class of Jewish people who had great influence both religiously and politically. They were specialists in biblical, interpreta- in biblical interpretation of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and they submitted to the teaching of these books alone, meaning that they rejected any beliefs or practices outside of it. 
And in their interpretation of scripture, they did not affirm the concept of the resurrection, meaning that they did not believe or claim that there was physical or spiritual life after death. So the Apostle Paul affirms in Acts 23, verse 6 through 8, while he's detained and he's making a defense for the gospel before a group of religious leaders that included the Sadducees, he said he was being judged for his belief in the resurrection due to the fact that the Sadducees did not believe in the truth of the resurrection nor in the existence of angels. So due to their unbelief, they aimed to ridicule the truth of the resurrection in these following verses. So verse 19, teacher... Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife behind but no child, that man should take the wife and raise up offspring for his brother. So it's interesting here that they call Jesus teacher because they weren't necessarily intending to learn anything from him. However, the Sadducees follow by quoting a scripture from Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 through 6, where Moses instructs the people of Israel this. Verse 5, when brothers live on the same property and one of them dies without a son, the wife of the dead man may not marry a stranger outside the family. Her brother-in-law is to take her as his wife, have sexual relations with her, and perform the duty of a brother-in-law for her. The first son she bears will carry on the name of the dead brother, so his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Now the point of this command was for a family to preserve their lineage in Israel and have protection from a male in their, house, in their household. And although this was acceptable in their time, I can imagine how this could feel a little strange right now for some of you, or even in some ways kind of gross, all right? I mean, let's be honest, it's 2023. I know the state of Maryland is pretty liberal, but I'm sure many of us uh, don't love our brother or sister-in-law to the extent that we would want to marry them, right? And that's no offense to them at all. So the Sadducees quote the law to Jesus, and then they share this scenario. Verse 20 through 22, there were seven brothers. The first married a woman and dying left no offspring. The second also took her and he died leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. None of the seven left offspring. Last of all, the woman died too. Now, we aren't quite sure how accurate this story was. It could have been that the Sadducees were just making this up. But regardless, when I read this story, I can't help but see grief, disappointment, and perpetual suffering. Can you imagine being this woman? She had seven husbands and they all died. Like imagine the level of grief that she experienced loss after loss after loss. And none of the marriages produced children. So imagine the level of despair and disappointment as she experienced, that she experienced as a result of infertility or failed pregnancies. Like imagine the years of suffering she and her family endured. And to top it off, she dies too. So these few verses here are filled with deep sorrow and hopelessness for this family. But far more importantly, when I read this story, I can't help but think of specific members of this church family who are hurting today because of, of circumstances like these. Like I think of brothers and sisters I love dearly in this room who have experienced tragic death or sudden losses of their loved, one, of their loved ones. I think of parents who are wrestling with the inability to have children of their own. I also think of my single brothers and sisters in the room who, because of physical circumstances, even if they marry today, it would be too late for them to have, have children biologically. 
Like I see faces filled with disappointment and pain and even questions regarding God's will for their lives and God's goodness in their lives. So for many of you in this room, Mother's Day is not a day of rejoicing, but a reminder of your suffering that cuts so deep, it's hard for you to get up out of bed in the morning. And as one of your pastors, my heart goes out to you if you're hurting today due to loss or the inability to have kids. Like I pray God would comfort you right now in this moment with the comfort that he alone can provide you. I pray that he will surround you with his love and fill you with his peace right where you're sitting. And if in any way you feel alone or without hope today, I invite you to talk to any of our leaders here at our church. We'd love to pray for you and see how we can possibly support you. So looking back to the text, following the woman's inability to bear children, the death of her seven husbands, and eventually her own death, the Sadducees ask this question in verse 23, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be since the seven had married her? Like remember the Sadducees' aim here is to ridicule the resurrection. They believe this hypothetical situation could prove the resurrection was absurd because when these individuals, if they rose again, according to their opinion, it would only create confusion about their marital status. However, this question doesn't phase Jesus at all. Like he responds with two counter questions in verse 24 and 26, citing two reasons why they were at fault in their thinking. So verse 24, Jesus spoke to them and he says, isn't, isn't this the reason why you're mistaken? You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Like the first reason they were at fault in their position is because they didn't believe in the true meaning of scripture, only in its content. And the second reason was they didn't believe in the power of God over death and life. So Jesus is saying they are mistaken because they have a faulty belief system. Like although they were smart and wealthy and powerful people, they lacked a true understanding of God's word and its authority over their lives. So in verse 25, Jesus provides theological correction following his question. And in verse 25, he says, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And remember in Acts 23, Paul affirms the Sadducees rejected the truth of the resurrection and the existence of angels. So it's interesting how Jesus brings up both subjects in his response. Like Jesus affirms that in heaven, life will be different. Like marriage between a man and a woman will no longer exist or be necessary. And why is that? Because people will be immortal beings in heaven. Like death will no longer exist, which means marriage won't be necessary for continuing the existence of the human race by having children. And I now, I know this can bring up a ton of emotions for married couples. Like for some, this might stir up great sadness because you love your spouse deeply. For others, this might be a huge sigh of relief. (laughs) When I pointed this out to my wife this week, I expressed how sad this text made me feel because of my deep love and affection for her, and I asked if she thought the same. (laughs) Maybe the timing was wrong, but as she was leaving the house to run some errands, she just simply giggled and walked out to the garage. (laughs) So she left me hanging. And I I guess it's okay to have different perspectives, although I might be emailing our counseling ministry this week to talk about it, but (laughs) in all seriousness, though, she did jokingly laugh and then express after I pursued her in the garage, (laughs) then she said, yeah, I'll miss being married to you. So yeah, she did affirm it. She did affirm it. So she's right here if you want to ask her if that's true. So 
So according to Jesus, marriage in heaven won't exist, but note what Jesus is not saying in this text. He is not saying when you get to heaven, you won't be able to remember your spouse or loved ones. Like I believe it's a good desire for us to long to be reunited with our loved ones in God's kingdom. Like I'm reminded of King David's statement in 2 Samuel 12, 23, after losing his baby boy, he says with confidence that he will see his son again. He actually says, I will go to him again. And I'm also reminded of several other scriptures that reveal we will be recognizable in our resurrected state, just as Jesus was when he resurrected. So this is great hope for followers of Jesus today. But also note that Jesus is not saying that marriage isn't important while on earth. Like the covenant commitment and union of a man and woman in marriage before God is held as sacred and of value to God. You see, the relationship between a husband and a wife is a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. And it also serves as a means for exemplifying Jesus' character and love as we extend it to our spouse. And also, it's a means for making and multiplying disciples of Jesus among the next generation as we produce and raise children in the ways of the Lord for God's glory. So therefore, for those he calls to marry, it's important to obey that call and remain faithful to that commitment throughout your lifetime. But just because marriage won't be necessary in heaven is not an excuse to lose hope in your marriage today. And neither is it an excuse to give up on your marriage or view your marriage with lesser value. Like neither it is a reason for those of you who are single to not pursue marriage. Like which I would encourage single brothers in this church, like step up your game, grow in godliness, go get a shape up, do some summer clothes shopping and holler at some of these single women in the church. Like this is a good thing. Yeah, yeah we can clap that and I'm not done. And don't just date someone, don't just date someone without direction, pursue marriage with that person after getting to know them well and seeking counsel on whether that's the best step for the both of you. I know I'm talking to you like I'm your big brother right now. I feel like I'm talking about the younger brothers. So, and if God's plan for you though is to not marry anyone in this lifetime, please know that you're still of equal value and purpose in the body of Christ, just as everyone else is. Like singles are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, but active participants in the family of God and in his plan of redemption for the world. So your singleness is a gift given to you to glorify God, to do good to those around you, and also for your growth and godliness. And if you're struggling to believe that as a single person today, please remember, God loves you unconditionally and knows what's best for you always. And church family, let's do a better job at reminding those who are single in our church family that we both see them and we care about them. And let's not be ignorant towards anyone in this body, but aim to make sure everyone in the family of God belongs. So in heaven... We will be like the angels who are spiritual beings that exist to glorify and serve God, but we will not be angels. We will be like them in the sense of not procreating and being married to a person. Although being married and seeing our loved ones, again, our good desires, our primary focus in heaven will not be our union and commitment to another human. The purpose and center of the resurrection is communion with God. And it will revolve around our union and marriage to Christ 
as one big extended family in Jesus. So the goal of the resurrection is to be like Jesus and united with Jesus for all eternity. So verse 26 through 27, Jesus continues, as for the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? Like he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. So in verse 19, the Sadducees quote Moses from Deuteronomy, and here Jesus quotes from Exodus 3, 6, bringing them back to Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush when he was called to leadership over Israel. And notice how Jesus points the Sadducees back to Scripture that they would affirm and acknowledge as truth and authoritative. And he quotes the famous statement that the nation of Israel had cherished throughout generations, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Like this was a common reference they used in prayer as a reminder of God's role as protector and savior over them. So if God was that for their forefathers, he would be the same for all Israel. And notice Jesus' selection of words when he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like he's speaking in the present tense. He doesn't say I was, he says I am. So these three men died hundreds of years prior to God saying this to Moses. However, God affirmed in that moment they remained alive and he remained their God. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were physically dead but spiritually alive. God remained their protector and savior. In this verse, Jesus affirms that there is life after death. And he maintained the fact of the resurrection by quoting scripture and reminding them of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. And why did he do that? Because as Jesus said, God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. If their forefathers were alive, then these Sadducees could be sure that when they die, God could raise them up too. And the failure to appreciate the connection between God's covenant faithfulness and the resurrection is what led the Sadducees into their error. So what does all of this mean for you and I? Well, the good news is that we have the entire Bible today to provide more insight of the resurrection and its implication for our lives. The good news is because Jesus rose again, you can rise too. And I'd like to briefly highlight three truths about the resurrection to help you see this. And then we'll close our time together by responding to God in prayer and praise in light of these truths. So here's number one. The resurrection of Jesus is true. Can we say that together? The resurrection of Jesus is true. So we don't have time to dig into all the details, so I encourage you, if for any reason at all you have further questions or even have some skepticism similar to the Sadducees, please reach out to a leader in our church for resources or a more in-depth conversation. But for now, I just want to highlight a couple reasons why we as Christians have affirmed this as a historical and biblical truth for the past 2,000 years. So consider this reason. Jesus said he would die, remain in the grave for three days, and then rise again, and eventually Jesus, what? He did it. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, and Matthew 16, 21, and John 2, verse 19, each include statements from Jesus declaring that he would do this. And even prior to his death, he proved the resurrection power that he had by bringing a dead man named Lazarus back to life. So ultimately, Jesus said he would do, do it, and he did it himself, keeping his word. Or consider this reason. At the resurrection of Jesus, the tomb was empty. Somebody say empty. empty. Like the New Testament Gospels claim that the tomb of Jesus was found empty on the Sunday following the crucifixion. 
And the strongest piece of evidence in our favor of an empty tomb was a report that it was discovered by women in Matthew 28.1. So during the first century, women were held to a low status in their society. So their testimony as a witness would often be discredited. So if early Christians were inventing narratives of the resurrection, why wouldn't they rely on individuals whose testimonies would be received as credible? Like these women, among others, witnessed an empty tomb, and for centuries, we have believed in their witness, in their testimony. Or consider this reason. The Roman soldiers try to cover up the resurrection. Matthew 27, verse 62, records an account where the Jewish leaders that tried, arrested, and murdered Jesus feared that he would rise. So guess what? They send Roman soldiers to seal and guard the tomb. It was their responsibility as soldiers to protect the tomb with their lives. And if they failed to do it, those soldiers would be killed immediately as punishment. However, just a chapter later, we see that plan fail because Jesus rose. And once news reached the religious elite, they end up bribing soldiers with large sums of money to lie and say that Jesus' followers had stolen his body overnight. And why would they do that? Because there was no body in the tomb and they couldn't prove that Jesus was dead. So why go through all of the trouble of added security and spreading lies if they had a dead body? Or consider this reason. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. So in Luke chapter 24, the women who didn't find Jesus at the tomb actually spoke with an angel that confirmed the resurrection of Jesus. They then went and reported it back to Jesus' disciples in that chapter who later went to see for themselves to find no body. And then in that same passage, Jesus reveals himself to the disciples at the dinner table. So they see Jesus and they eat dinner with Jesus. And according to Acts 1-3, it highlights that after Jesus rose, he presented himself to his disciples over a period of 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3-7 through affirms that up to 500 people saw the risen Jesus. Or consider this last reason. The apostles were killed because of their faith in the resurrected Jesus. Like following the resurrection as enemies plotted against the apostles, they gave their lives for Jesus. And several times in the book of Acts, we see disciples being uh, beaten, persecuted, and locked in jail, all for believing in Christ. And most were killed for the sake of the gospel, yet they never neglected what they believed in. Like they were willing to die rather than deny Jesus. So why murder these individuals if the resurrection weren't true? Even Paul, a prominent Jewish leader who persecuted Christians, had an encounter with the risen Jesus that totally transformed his life. And he ended up submitting to the lordship of Christ, planting many churches and writing more than half of the books in the New Testament of the Bible. So these are just a few pieces of evidence to highlight, and there are many others that we would find in the Bible and in additional Christian writings. There are even recorded statements from skeptics and atheists and scholars that would affirm the historicity of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. So yes, the resurrection of Jesus is true. It's both an article of Christian faith and a historically proven event. And this matters for all humanity because the death and resurrection of Jesus is directly tied to the salvation of all mankind. Which brings us to our second point, number two, the resurrection of Jesus assures our salvation. Somebody say salvation. salvation. The Bible teaches that God created mankind to reflect his image on earth for the spread of his glory on earth. However, the first man and woman sinned against God, which resulted in all humanity having a sin condition that separates them from God and leads to eternal life. 
I'm sorry, leads to eternal death. And in our sin, we're naturally inclined to remain far from God, rejecting him and rebelling against him in our hearts and with our actions. And as a result, we fall short of reflecting his character and bringing glory to his name. But despite our sin, God drew near to us by sending Jesus, his one and only son, to bear our sin, take our punishment, and die on the cross in our place. And three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, confirming the resurrecting power he alone possesses and granting assurance to all his followers that in him they are forgiven and recipients of eternal life with God, beginning now and lasting forever. So Christianity teaches that we are saved based on what Jesus has done for us and not by anything good that we've done ourselves. Because Jesus rose again, he cleared the way for all, all who believe in him to one day rise too. So even if we die on earth, we will rise and be with him for all eternity. And this is why Jesus said to his friend that was grieving the loss of her brother Lazarus in John 11, verse 25 through 26, he says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, he can save us from eternal death and give us eternal life. So Jesus' question here remains the same for you today. Do you believe this? Do you believe with 100% assurance that Jesus Christ has forgiven your sin and gifted you with eternal life? And if you're not 100% certain of this today, then I urge you to acknowledge your sin before God. Confess your need for his forgiveness and believe that he died and rose again to save you from your sin. Like this morning can be the day of salvation for you where you can be reconciled to God in Christ. Because Jesus rose again, you can rise too. So what is holding you back from putting your faith and trust in Jesus today? Here's point number three, our last point. The resurrection of Jesus is our hope. Somebody say hope. Like for those of us who have trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, although this might be all familiar for us, it rem- still remains good news for us today. Like we need to constantly remember what Jesus has done for us because we're prone to forget and we're prone to wander and even question his goodness as his followers. Like we constantly need to remind ourselves of the living hope we have in Jesus. Our, and our hope is that one day we will experience glorification which is the goal of the resurrection. And what this means is to be eternally free from sin and its consequences and perfectly reflect the image of Jesus. Can you imagine being free from sin? Like no more unrighteous anger or no more hurting people, like no more selfish desires, no more feelings of envy or jealousy, no more wrestling with sexual sin. Like we will be like Jesus and perfectly obey, love, be faithful, and submit to Jesus. And can you imagine being free from suffering? Like no more trauma or chronic pain or loneliness, disease, natural disasters, disappointments, or even death. Like we will have resurrected, glorified bodies 
like new bodies that will say bye to depression and bye to anxiety and bye to cancer and bye to COVID and bye to arthritis and bye to dementia. And mothers in this room, at the resurrection, you will say bye to stress and bye to postpartum depression and bye to insecurities about your body, including saying bye to your stretch marks. Like at the resurrection, it will not only be a spiritual experience, but a bodily one as well, where we will be completely renewed in Jesus. And not only will we be glorified, but we will experience unbreakable communion with God. Like never again will it be possible for us to be separated from God. Like we will be in his presence, eternally safe, secured, and loved. And we will worship, love, and revere and honor God without end, and we will never grow weary of it. Like our only desire will be to glorify God with our lives. And it is in heaven where we will be married to Christ alone, forever experiencing the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in his presence. In a relationship that can never be broken. And guess what? This eternal fellowship with God won't just be between you and God. It will be you, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all the angels and God's people that trusted in Jesus. Like all the family of God will be together and perfect. Like no drama, no heartbreaks, no abuse, no divorce, no separation, no brokenness. Like our family will be whole and complete. And yes, that includes being reunited with our loved ones in Christ. Like our parents and our grandparents and our children, including precious babies that we lost by miscarriage, stillbirth, or even to abortion. Like at the resurrection, we will be eternally satisfied and enjoy Jesus with our extended family. Like don't you long for these things? Like Paul affirmed this in Romans 8, 22, when he said the whole earth groans for what only heaven holds. And this is our hope. Like may we long for the day when Jesus comes back and we join him and we are glorified. May we long for Revelation 21 to be fulfilled when we witness the splendor and beauty of the new heaven and new earth that he will establish. When a new holy city will descend from heaven, prepare like a bride adorned for her husband where God will dwell and live with us and we will be his people, free from death and grief and crying and pain and where every single tear from our eyes will be wiped away because the former things will pass and all things will be made new. I praise God that the resurrection of Jesus is our hope. It's good news for us today, but it's also good news for the world. And we not withhold this to ourselves, but with a sense of urgency, share this good news so that others would know of the hope that they can find in Jesus. So as we prepare to close today in our time in God's word, I wanna share a brief testimony on behalf of my family. For my household, there are so many reasons for rejoicing on this Mother Day. One is for my wife, who my kids and I are incredibly grateful for. Baby, we love you and we appreciate all the ways that you lead and love our family. 
But this Mother's Day is also hard for us, especially for my wife, Dina. We lost her grandmother, Abuela Chila, uh, last month, just a few days before Easter. And she died just a debilitating sickness she had been wrestling with for a long time. And honestly, it's just been a hard month of just processing that and grieving her loss. Like on one end, we'd mourn her passing and feel hurt due to the voice she left. And she was our prayer warrior, faithfully interceded for us. She was our evangelist. She preached a word in every single conversation with us. But most importantly, she loved us like a mother. But on the other end, we grieve with hope. On Easter Sunday this year, while Dina was in El Salvador celebrating her grandmother's life, my kids and I were here at NBC MoCo celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And although we were on opposite sides of the world, there was one comfort that we both shared. Jesus is alive and Abuela Chila is alive. Like Abuela Chila was buried physically that weekend, but she was spiritually alive. And the resurrection is a reminder that Abuela Chila's personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ is the reason why she is not in that grave in El Salvador. Like she is in the presence of her Savior, completely healed and whole, and we will see her again. But the resurrection, as I said moments ago, is good news not only for my family, but for everyone. Like we can bank our lives on what Jesus has done for us because he lives. And we can have 100% assurance that if we believe in him, we will never die. So as a result with confidence on this Mother's Day, I can say, because Jesus rose again, Abuela Chila rose I will rise, and you can rise too. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we reflect on God's word and prayer? So considering what we reviewed today, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to prayerfully reflect by thanking God for the resurrecting hope that we have in Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're struggling to find hope in this truth today, then just take a moment to just ask God for his comfort and to affirm you in this moment. You can do that on your own or with someone right next to you, right where you're sitting. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to trust in Jesus as your Savior today. Like right where you're sitting, you can acknowledge your sin, confess it to God, trust in his forgiveness over you and believe that he is your Lord and Savior. Go ahead and take a moment between you and the Lord.
God, we thank you for the life you give and offer to us freely in Christ. It's by no mistake that we needed to study this text this morning. To be reminded of the good news of the hope that we have in you, Jesus. And you paid the price for our sin. Through your death and you rose again. Out of love for humanity, your word says in John 3.16. So that no one would perish that everyone who believes in you would have eternal life. We praise you for the work that you have done on our behalf. And we thank you that by according to your grace and mercy, even when we don't deserve it, you still love us. And your grace is for us every single day of our lives. And so we thank you for the reminder today in your word. I pray that it would be our hope today and every day of our life, that we will look forward with great anticipation of the day that you return. When you meet us, according to your word in 1 Thessalonians 4, when you meet us in the sky, you bring us up to be with you so that we experience that moment of glorification that we will abide in for all of eternity. God, we long for that day. God, I pray for those in this room that are hurting. Pray for those who miss their parents and miss their grandparents. Pray for those who miss their kids today. Pray, God, that you will comfort them. That you will be their strength and their portion this morning, God. Pray that they will be honored and celebrated on this day by you and by people who love them. And I pray if they're alone, God, that you will surround them with new people in their life and that you will fill them by your spirit. And God, I pray for those who may have made a decision to follow you today, God, we celebrate that. We know that angels rejoice in your presence. You know everyone's heart and where they're at. I pray that as they draw near to you, God, that you will draw near to them. Would this be the day of salvation for those who have trusted in you today, God? We praise you. We thank you, God. And for those who are skeptical today and maybe still have questions, God, I pray that you would put the right people in their lives to remind them that you are a God that loves them and pursues them and that you desire for them to have a relationship with you. We pray this in your name. Amen.